This is Road to Revival, a journey guided by the gospel to welcome the next spiritual great awakening of our time with your host, Wes Roth. Man, I love living in the 21st century. We're at a place where technology is at a crossroads with nearly every segment of our lives in the developed world. Many, many, many of us use artificial intelligence daily in our cars, homes, offices, on our phones, computers, and tablets without a second thought. Phones pump info into our lives second by second, and computers guide important important facets of our daily vocations. With all of these tools at our disposal, we've also found an increasingly deep and nuanced world of data analytics that push us towards excellence when properly applied. The sheer volume of the metrics that we can look at daily encourages us to make sure that we scrape every dollar off the table, that we get every penny out of our labor budgets, and that we use every square inch of data to increase the foundation of our businesses every day. We love that push towards business excellence. In the fitness world, you can now buy an exercise machine that has a built-in component that allows for a coach to push you toward excellence in the privacy of your home. This machine is a cultural hit, a phenomenon for our age. Exercising at home provides that curtain that protects us from potential embarrassment when we don't want people at the gym to see us stumbling through learning how to use equipment for the first time. People love that push toward physical excellence. In the social media world, people are gravitating toward meaningful causes by the score, daily operating out of a moral worldview on one level or another, that cries out for cultural change in one arena or another. They feel the inherent need to engage in something that will lend compassion to one segment of society or to a marginalized people group. People love that push toward compassionate excellence. It seems as if most areas of our lives are edging us further on and further in toward excellence. This is often a very good thing. In the book, The Instrument of Revival, author Brynmore Pierce Jones made an interesting point in his preface. He remarked how, Prior to the powerful revivals that swept through Wales that were known as the Welsh Revivals, the church in Wales was known for being active and excellent in many, many areas. They had many well-attended meetings, strong social goals. The church was indeed looking pretty good. It was said that it was possible to attend some spiritual function every week, year-round, and scores of people would and did attend. Why then, with so much activity, was revival so desperately needed in Wales? With all of that excellence, why was Wales prepped for revival? In the last years of the 19th century, in spite of being of people being so active in the church, prophetic voices within the church in Wales begin to rise up and call for change. One leader of a Christian organization passionately called out for the need for people to awaken to love and self-sacrifice and to cooperation with the Holy Spirit and insight into God's will. Another leader remarked that they had the need for revived churches. Other leaders led prayer meetings, praying and asking for revival all over Europe, North America, Australia, and other places all over the world. Asking the right questions and praying in the right directions started to lead to an awareness of failure, spiritually speaking. In our push for excellence, it is so very, very easy to feel shame at failure. I know I do. At the loss of our perspective or our ambition or the shame we experience when we make a mistake and become the cautionary tale that others love to gossip about, we find that we're in a world that's constantly demanding perfection. It's also very easy for me and probably everyone else to think that God views us much the same way. And we tend to think that when we do fail, that he is standing somewhere pointing a finger of judgment at us. 
and ready to think the worst of us. What we do not know very deeply at all is that while it is a good thing to give God our best, it is also a very good thing to give God our worst. We have been driven to please others all of our lives, including God. That drive cannot always be a good thing when it comes to a relationship with God. He made us and he loves us. Our drive to please him and earn his favor leaves us feeling spiritually wrecked, feeling distant from him, and feeling unable to receive what he is wanting to give us, which is his unconditional favor, his unconditional forgiveness, and his unconditional love and his grace. I have often worked hard to give him my best over the course of my lifetime and then felt the shame roll over me like a nauseating wave when I could not. I have labored under spiritual slavery, believing that I must perform well and often, and when I could not, I would tend to berate myself for my failures and live with shame for many, many years. And you know, when you fail, we always tend to have a habit of getting harder and harder on ourselves progressively. If you fail in one area, the shame is so overwhelming, but it's important to remember, as Scripture said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we don't just need the theory of it. We need the feeling of it. We need to experience that from God. And when we look at the things we've done wrong, what I've learned is that when I make a mistake, when I do the wrong thing, that repentance is not only turning from a wrong path, but it is also the act of learning how to give God our worst as a form of worship. As musician David Teams once sang, if he is worthy of my strength, he is worthy of my weakness. Maybe it's time we quit trying to impress God. What David Teams sang about is a true statement. It's incredibly profound. All of the great moves of God in the world seem to have been preceded by an awakening to our true state and condition. And I mean to our true state and condition, including our failings and our frailties. This awakening eventually leads to repentance and then to the restorative actions that come with a revival where God deeply touches the hearts and minds of millions and tends to profoundly shape lives and histories. So while we are all daily encouraged to reach for the stars, and we should, giving God our best is no more important than learning how to be vulnerable to Him and to the work of the Holy Spirit shining that great and divine light into our lives as we learn how to yield to Him, His work, and His ways. And in doing so, by learning to be real with God, by not making excuses, by, by not insisting that he do things our way. God, help me, I've done that so much in my life. I learned how to give him my worst. It is freeing, it becomes encouraging, and giving God our worst helps us to learn the reality that he, and he alone, is able to bear our burdens in perfection, and he loves to do just that. When revival comes into the world, it's important to remember that when God says something about your sin, he's not doing it to shame you. The shame you feel, trust me in this, the shame that we have all felt does not come from the throne of God. And it is a lie out there in the field of religion and theology in general in so many places that says that we should be ashamed. What we were called to be is not a people who revel in shame. By all means, feel the conviction. And it is normal for shame to come over you. But we are not called to live in that place. And the shame does not come from God. The shame comes from the fact that we have our eyes on our own sins and faults. We are encouraged in the text of Scripture to lift our eyes up, to lift our eyes up to the mountains and to see where our help truly comes from. Years and years ago, 
There was a band called Delirious. They jumped right out of the UK and took much of the world by storm. They had a song called Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? I've never forgotten that song. It always related in my heart and mind back to the scripture verse that I relate a moment ago about lifting your eyes up to the mountains. And if you take the time to listen to that song, you realize that that song is an invitation to God to come to the earth in a way that maybe he hasn't in the past. The church for thousands of years has documented various places where revival swept one community or nation after another. But the truth is, is that those revivals, for whatever reason, always end. And I believe that there is a move of God coming to the earth that all those other revivals and renewals, all those other times were preparation for a revival, for a global awakening that will come to the earth and will truly wed man to God. It will feel like, as scripture would say, the wedding feast of the Lamb of God. And I believe that this revival is not just for the hearts of people. This is not just for churches. This isn't just for our ministries. This isn't for our professional or ministerial reputations. This is to bring the hope of the universe, which is in Christ Jesus, to bear upon the earth, which is, as Scripture says, the very footstool of God. And that is a place where God puts his feet. That is a place where God's glory comes. That is the place where we who are people were made to be temples to the living God. I believe we're coming to a place where this global awakening will heal not only mankind, but it is called to heal all of creation. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know the timing and the framework for it, but I believe it's scriptural. And I believe when you look in the New Testament, you find a passion on the part of the apostolic writers within 40 years of Christ's death and resurrection. And they constantly said, all creation is eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. And I added daughters in there because, ladies, we are all on equal footing in the eyes of God. And it's important that we know that our maker is coming. And when he comes, by the pure compelling of his love, we will be overwhelmed and we will be made right in an instant. When you look in the text of Scripture again, you find that one day, there's a verse that says, one day we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, because the person of Jesus Christ and the being of the Holy Spirit and the personality of who God the Father is, God, the triune God, is so compelling and so utterly full. He is the source and author of all love and compassion and good things anywhere. This very being is so compelling that he changes us not with the threat of torture, but he changes us with the promise of his love and the fulfillment of that promise. There is no one like the living God. He comes to heal and restore. He comes to heal and to restore. He does not come to promote one personality over another. He comes to heal and restore because he truly does love his creation. So when we pray for revival, I would suggest that we pray and ask that God would move in our hearts and lives to bring us to the place where we are asking that he would get the world ready through us for the return of the king. And I believe that the king is coming for a place that is swept and put in order. So it's in these types of things, when we consider revival, we need to be thinking about God's plan for it. 
because revival is not going, this next global awakening is not going to be about one man, one woman, any personality, any ministry. It is going to be God coming like a joyful child into the earth with all of his power, and we will find him so compelling. We will gratefully and gladly bend the knee and bend our necks and kneel at his feet and say, no wonder they call you God. For God, you are. You have always been good. That is the truth. That is the truth that is the foundation of all good things. Amen. Thank you for listening to Road to Revival. God has said we can call out to him, and he will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Now is the time to call on his name. Join us for more podcast episodes and learn more by visiting RoadToRevival.com. Everybody here looking for revival.